Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle, I am lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. May I read that one more time? And I know we're recording this service, and I know it's going to go viral. I can tell you in advance that this will probably one of those messages that you may even get an email or a text or some type of social media con con contact on. Aren't you a pastor? Or aren't you a part of that church where that pastor preached that message? Let me read this one more time. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me all who labor and are heavy laden. And I, I will give you rest. Thank you, Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and Jesus says I am lowly at heart. Take or and you will find rest. And that's what we need in this hour. Rest for your souls. Notice what he says next. Verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. I've never preached this message. The history of my preaching in 30 plus years. I want to talk about the burden of black America. The burdens of black America. Once again, burdened in black America. Let me, let me clean this up. Burdened in black America. And you may already ask, what does this have to do with the gospel? It has everything to do with the gospel. If you give me 20 minutes, maybe an extra two or three today, you'll find out quickly what it has to do with the good news of Jesus Christ. The burden or burdened in black America. We look at this most historic pandemic season. And a couple of weeks ago, I was, at, I was beyond the one virus of this hour, this one virus. Now, I, I said there are two viruses in this hour. And now I'm beginning to think today there's three viruses in this season. Number one, the coronavirus. You already know about the coronavirus. There's been death, disease, destruction, hurt, loss of loved ones. And uh, it seems as if most of half of America plus are no longer honoring the social distancing, which gives many in the medical world a fear that we've yet to see the worst of it. And we've seen the exposure in black America of the disparity of access accurate answers and help with our preconditions but if that wasn't enough in this season some hundred plus days we deal now with the 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 the, the disease of injustices you already know the names but i'm not scared to say them the ahmaud Aubrey's, brianna taylor's george floyd's and now this new incident yesterday in atlanta jordan atlanta georgia we're seeing the disease the virus of injustices, police brutality. And I know there's a big argument whether more whites get killed by police or blacks get killed by police. I know see people can counter that with black on black crimes and all of the narratives. But the truth of the matter is if you are a person of color, particularly of dark brown skin, 
This is an hour that we have to contend with. And if that isn't enough, now you have to deal with this third virus of racism. Whether it's white silence, men, women who, 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 who have now to decide between heritage and hate, whether it's a rebel flag, whether it's kneeling in an NFL ball game, whether it's the bringing down of, of, of Confederate soldiers. Now we're starting to see the true colors, the true inward of man rise up. So we're dealing with racism, whether it's systemic, whether it's institutional, it could just be overt and obvious. But the truth of the matter is, many of you all are loose friends. Some friends across the river and some friends in your own community. Because the truth of the matter is we live in a very difficult climate of opinion, a different climate of perspective. And if that wasn't enough, as a church family, we've lost some dear loved ones in this season. For many, many, many years, I could count on one hand the number of funerals that I had done in this church. And now it seems as, as if we've done more funerals in the last 12 months, maybe in the last 25 years combined. It's been a very tough sledding season all around the historic and pandemic season of 2020 what shall we say to these things on last sunday we preached a message which is our first message back on campus and i want to applaud many of you all again for for being here and for those who were with us online we talked about all things becoming brand new we took the text from Revelation chapter 21, where the Bible reminded us, then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things, not some things, but that God says, I'll make all things brand new. And in Exodus chapter 12, God speaks to Moses and God speaks to Aaron and says, it may be the middle of the year, but I'm going to say happy new year to you. In fact, he reminds them in Exodus 12, 1 and 2. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, this month shall be the beginning of month. It shall be the first month for you. And I want to tell every one of you, I know it's June the 14th, but a happy new year. Because when God decides it is your new season, when God decides it is a new turning of a leaf, when God decides that I'm going to make all things brand new. We could be in the dead of summer, but I'm going to say to you, Happy New Year, because God makes all things brand new. And then speaking of being renewed, may you be renewed in your inner man. May you be renewed in your mind. But then I'm reminded of the Bible when it says, may we be renewed in the Holy Spirit. We are living in a season of newness. This season will define and separate the men from the boys, the women from the girl. This season will define the truth saints from the ain'ts. This season will decide, define where you're, what's really in your heart. When children of Israel went to the wilderness of Deuteronomy 28, they asked a question, Deuteronomy 8 and 28, they asked a question, why the wilderness? Why the tough times? Why the heartache? And God's answer was, you know what? I want to do you good in the end. I really want to see what's good in, what's in your heart, uh, and I want to humble you. I don't know about you, but this has been a season of humbling in our personal lives, in our families, with our finances, with our job security, with our savings and investment. It's been an humbling season, having to see loved ones pass away and couldn't be by their bedside at the hospital or in hospice or even at the gravesite. It's been an humbling time where we depend on the things of God. We've walked by faith more in this season than we've ever walked by faith. Unemployment, all-time high. Recessions, companies, businesses, schools, travel, sports, everything has come to a halt. 
And so now we realize that man does not eat or live by bread alone. But by every word, someone say word. Come on, somebody say word. But every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Uh, let me pause and give you the full disclaimer this morning. And I want to say this so you don't say you weren't told. We're living in a very hostile season of opinions, emotions, feelings, perspectives, views, commentary. And I've chosen to be disciplined on what thus saith the Lord. You cannot go wrong by staying in the Bible, by staying in the Word of God. I've been on social media posts when I've enjoyed the affirmation and confirmation of so many saints. But on the other end of that spectrum, I've been on social media posts where I feel like I've been Daniel in the lion's den. Living and swimming in a sea of people who don't know, have a clue of what the word of God is. People who have the form of godliness, but deny the power. People who are outside window shopping at the church, window shopping at the word, but couldn't put two scriptures together to save their lives. So I'm reminded that the church is needed like never before. I'm reminded that you are needed like never before. Your word, your speech, your stand, your time of prayer is needed in this hour like never before. Please hear me on this morning. And so today my disclaimer is simply this. I'm going to stand on the word of God. We're going to stand at the church, whether it's popular or not. Whether we make friends or likes or not. We're going to stand flat-footed, completely without wavering on thus saith the Lord. Psalm 107, 20. He, God, sent his word and his word brought the healing and his word delivered them. Write it down, Psalm 107, 20. Please be reminded, Hebrews 4 and 12, that his word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Please be reminded, 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word in season, out of season. But there will come a time, and that time is here, where people would rather have good opinions, narratives, and commentary than the word of God. You're not saying amen today. I need someone to talk to me just for the next few moments on this morning. You know, this past Thursday night, and, and I'm going to encourage the multimedia team to grab a couple of these sound bites. Because this past Thursday night, I kind of went to an area that I hadn't really heard nobody talk about. I've heard from the government. We've heard from the president. We've heard from different movements and different marches. But I'm trying to figure out where's the church at right now? Where are the godly leaders who can speak real time? We don't need no old cassette tape messages. We don't need no goodies but oldies archive messages that worked 20 years ago. Who's hearing from heaven? Who's able to articulate and graph the word of God and communicate it to what people understand? What do we say to our teenagers, our preteens, our millennials? What answers do we have for the older senior saints? Who God, if that changed this world, many of them will die going to heaven with somberness and sadness because of what their eyes have seen. They say that we're the first generation as African Americans that are actually doing worse than the prior generation. For the last 400 plus years in America since slavery, all right, every generation has done a little bit better than the, net, than the past. 
Every generation got a little bit stronger than the past. Every generation got a little bit more educated, a little bit more empowered, a little bit more liberated, a little bit more uh, moving up the socioeconomical ladder. But now it is as if we are regressing. I've quoted time and time again, the old had a will, but they had no way. We become a generation that has a way, but has no will. And so when we look at CBS and ABC and the media, and we see the protests and the marching, there's some glimmer of hope. There's a ray of hope. There's some silver lining. And some, I use the word some, some of the things that we're seeing. I want to talk about the word of God on this morning. This past Thursday night, I preached a message part one. I'll do part two this coming Thursday night. Beware of the spirit of lawlessness. Beware of the spirit of lawlessness from peaceful protest to wretched rioting. Peaceful protest to wretched rioting. And, and, and we've talked a whole lot in this season about what our eyes are beholding. But, but, but we've not heard too much narrative, too much message and sermons and, and, and direction from our pulpits on how we're to respond. Who do we hitch our wagons to? You know, the difference between this movement and the movement of the 60s was you had iconic figures such as the late Dr. Martin Luther King, Stokely Carmichael, Malcolm X, Rosa Parks. You had those iconic figureheads even JFK. But today, there is no one, two, three polarizing faces that can lead this movement. This is a grassroots movement. It's a social media movement. So things have changed. And if we're not careful, disclaimer number three, if we're not careful, we can blindly be led astray under the banner of something that seems right, but biblically is not the heart of God. I might lose a couple of friends on this morning. Uh, Matthew 7, 21 says something interesting about, about lawlessness. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me that, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? And done many wonders in your name? Notice the response of the Lord. Everybody with me this morning? Here's what he says, verse 23. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye who practice lawlessness. Ye who practice lawlessness. We're going somewhere here. Now, I think before the era we're living in, this would have been so far from the east as from the west. But I'm wondering what are we saying when we say defund the police? What are we saying when we want to become citizens and uh, uh, citizens policing of our communities? What are we saying when we come against seemingly, stay with me, stay with me. We're going to balance this out in a minute. We're going we're gonna to balance it out, but stay with me for a moment. What is the world crying when we say, anti-big business, anti-big corporations, anti-traditional leadership, anti-government. And we're almost now saying anti-police. Almost. We're not there yet. Is it a possibility that the word of God has already spoken to the moment we are now living in? Why would Jesus say to the church, you prophesied, 
You've cast out devils. You've done a lot of great things for the community. But you were involved with the spirit of lawlessness. What would have caused him to have said that? Not to have said it, but for Matthew to have recorded it as something that we probably should think through. Uh, let, let me go further. Let me go further. I have a lot of work to do. Lawlessness, friends, people not restrained or controlled by the law, especially the law of God. Lawlessness is simply defined when people are not restrained or controlled by law. It really shouldn't be anything new to us. We've seen it in the movies. You look at all these um, uh, futuristic movies, uh, Mad Max and a Robo RoboCop and you know you, uh, even Batman you saw Gotham City I mean think think think, think about this you, you you see this culture years and years ago when society got to a place there was no more honor no more respect no more value for authority I hope you stay with me for a few moments here lawlessness second uh, Thessalonians two and three New Living Translation do not be fooled by what they say. For that day they will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The one who brings destruction. Now many of you like me, when you see the word the one who brings destruction, I'll just be honest and say, maybe he's talking about the president. Because the president has been very divisive, very insensitive. Very uh, distorting, and I go as far as to say very dysfunctional. But, but, but that wouldn't label the biblical man of lawlessness. Because the biblical man of lawlessness wants to be without law and order. Wants to be without authority and, and understanding of leadership. And so, so, so we got to X that one out. But somewhere in the, in the midst of all of this, and if you stay in Second Thess Thessalonians, which I won't, uh, you'll keep reading that when the man of lawlessness is raised up, he will bring signs and wonders and miracles and things into the earth and will be deceiving and fooling many people in the church. We'll have to pick that up Thursday night. Let me pick that up on Thursday night. What about anarchy, the rejection of authority? So I've been praying, seeking the Lord, trying to hear from heaven of really where we're at with all of this. And here's what's come to me. You know, back in 2007, 2008, when we started with the real recession, if you remember, there was a great revolt against authority. Big banks were losing CEOs. The media icons were falling left and right. Uh, uh, presidents and, and chancellors of major schools Remember, they were, they were losing their posts. Many of them were being forced to resign. Some were getting fired. The banks could no longer be trust. I'm not going to call no banks' names now, but the banks, some in our own city, had major class action suits against them. So what was happening was there was a losing of trust for big business, big government, and big banks. Stay with me. Not only that, corporations, schools, establishments, in fact, anything that looked like traditional leadership was now being questioned. You combine that with the mindset of millennials, and I'm not being hard on millennials. I know you're some here in the room today, but when you combine that with the mindset of millennials, you know, millennials can be really kind of self-willed, hello somebody, self-interest, uh-huh, uh, entitled, right, yeah, okay. If you combine the two, it creates for a tsunami. And I think that's what we're seeing today. I applaud 
the actions of the peaceful protesters. Please hear me closely. I honor, appreciate, acknowledge the peaceful protesting, black and white. I've been on the streets with them. I've stood for the things I feel during the march I should stand for. I've shouted and chanted the things that I feel that I should reverberate as a pastor, as a Christian, as a black man, as a father. Now, some of the other stuff I couldn't shout because, the, uh, well, first of all, because I don't use those words, first of all. Uh, number two, I don't agree with some of the things they were shouting with their uh, explicitives and, and the like. Number four, uh, there were cameras everywhere. And uh, I wouldn't want y'all not to come back to church because the pastor was cursing left and right on TV. So that, that's, that's no other message. But, but, but here's what I'm getting at. When I look at the mayor of Minnesota, Minneapolis standing in what at one time was a wonderful, peaceful protest, but he was sidetracked with the question, will you defund the police? And I think that question went two or three different times. And when he finally just kind of stood his ground and said, no, I won't, the crowd became a mob scene and booed him off the scene. And Kurt, not encouraged, I can't use that word encouraged, basically made it so he had to distance the scene. I would have stayed as best I could. But when he left, something of establishment left. When he conceded, cowered down and walked off the scene, something happened to me visually. And I said, we're losing this country. We're losing. What about our friend here, Dave Dorn? Retired police officer. Decides to go in action just for a few moments in St. Louis. Older father, grandfather, black retired officer, loses his life doing the rioting and the looting. How do we give an account for that? That wasn't injustices. That wasn't a, a, a white bad cop on a good black cop. But we don't hear about it. That's not making the media. And I, may, I'm, I might beg to ask, you may be asking, why are we dealing and talking about all this on a Sunday morning? Because you need answers. And I'm going to talk to you in a moment what you can do. Because I can't go everywhere you go. I don't have the platforms that you have. I'm not in the inner circles you're in. But somebody is hungry for answers. Somebody is starving for understanding. And you, my friends, can be the one who helps. Let's talk about this for a few moments. The burden of black America. The burden of black America. The word burden simply means heaviness. To be lifted. Uh, uh, affliction, right? The burden is uneasy. It's a load that one carries. And I want to remind you just real quick, and I won't have time to give you all these scriptures, but a burden is not a bad thing in some context. In the Old Testament, Habakkuk had a burden before he ever wrote the book. Nahum had a burden before he ever wrote his scriptures. Uh, Isaiah uh, talks about the burden, chapter 13 and 1. Zechariah, chapter 3. Malachi, chapter 1. If you go over any of those prophets, any of those scriptures, it all started with a burden. Malachi could not deal with the fathers of his day unless he had a burden to make a difference. Zechariah, Nahum, Isaiah, and the like. In fact, I know you don't have time, but look, just, uh, just write down Psalm 55. If you write it down, Psalm 55. You don't have to turn there, but I do want to give you a couple of scriptures about the burden of the Lord. The Bible says in Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. Let me keep reading. Watch this. He shall never permit the righteous 
to be moved. He knows it's heavy for black America. But if you learn to cast your burden on him, he'll make sure, number one, you're not moved. Number two, he'll make sure you're sustained. Since we're there, go to Galatians, New Testament. Go to Galatians chapter 6, all right? Just, just if, you, if you can't go there, at least write it down. Galatians chapter 6. Let me give you another thought about the burden of the Lord. I know you have your mask on this morning, but come on, say the burden of black America. Come on, say the burden of black America. I've heard some of you say over the last couple of years, oh, I just wish we could have services like we had at Old Concord Road. Oh, I just wish he'd preach like he preached back at the gym days. Well, baby, I'm talking about the burden of black America. I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not holding nothing back. You need to know that there is a word in the house for the people of God. Galatians chapter 6. Uh, just write down verse 2. The Bible says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the word of Christ, the law of Christ. You want to be in God's perfect will? You want to know what it's like to do the will of God? How about bearing one another's burdens? How about bearing, not criticizing, not laughing, not avoiding, not being evasive? But brother, I know you're going through the things. Let me pick you up by the hand and help you. Sister, I know it's not been an easy season for it, but let's go out and get coffee and let's talk through these challenges. Bear one another's burdens. A burden can be a good thing. Because without a burden, we wouldn't be speaking on this message today. Jesus has something to say about the burdens. I said on this past Thursday night, and let me encourage every one of you, Thursday night has become our virtual pastoral teaching on Thursday nights. And I understand the commute to come into Huntersville. I understand the traffic, the logistics, and all the moving parts of having to get so much done before service on Thursday nights. But now you can join from the comfort of your home. You can join from whatever traveling part, spot you're in to hear the word of God. I've not been happy or content or satisfied with the attendance of Thursday night Bible study. I know that we're trying to play catch up. And I know we're trying to make up for lost time. But not everybody's occupied at 7 o'clock on Thursday nights. Not everybody's so busy on Thursday nights. Why can't you cut your laptop going? Why can't you cut your cell phone on? I don't care if you're at home or at the office traveling. It's only about 45, 50 minutes. But it is a word that keeps you in sink of what God is speaking and what God is doing. I want to encourage every one of you to hunger for the word of God again, to thirst for the fellowship again. There's a time of prayer and power that proceeds through the phone, through the Zoom, through Facebook Live. And I just believe if you've been burdened that week, if you've been heavy that week, that in a minute of obedience, in a minute of time, God can encourage your family. God can encourage those in the house hearing the word of the Lord. Just one hour, Thursday nights, and you know, we talked about the burden of black America. In fact, I found the scripture in the book of Romans chapter 9. Now, I'm not Israeli. You're not Israeli. We ain't Hebraic by any stretch of the imagination. But notice what Paul says about his brothers. I feel the same way about you and our community. Paul says in chapter 9 of Romans, I want to read this out of the New Living Translation. With Christ as my witness, I speak with other truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, the Jewish brothers and sisters. I would willing, I would be willing to be forever cursed, that is, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. I have to pause right here. I need you to hear me. For those online, hit that share button. Invite somebody to this party. Paul says, listen, my heart breaks. I'm grieved. 
I'm tore up because of my Jewish brothers and sisters. I wonder what would happen if we had that same burden for one another. Instead of the crab bucket mentality, every time somebody goes up, we pull them back down. Every time we should be celebrating somebody, we find an area to criticize them and beat them down. I wonder what would happen if we learned to have a burden and a longing for the success of our brother. Paul says, you know what? I'd rather be cursed. In fact, just remove me from the plan of Christ if it meant you coming closer to your purpose and your calling. I said, God, thank you for that reminder. As preachers, as pastors, as men, let me just cut to the core and say it like this. As black folk, if there's ever been a time to care for one another, now's the time. Don't let nobody fool you into some argument on Facebook. Keep loving on them. Keep ministering to them. I don't care how, excuse me, I'm sorry. I don't care how ignorant they sound. Just love on them. I don't care how planned their motives are. Don't fight fire with fire. Don't render evil for evil. In fact, overcome evil. By showing some good, you got a towel, give me a towel, somebody give me a towel. Just overcome evil by doing good. Don't let no cousin get in a fight with you, an argument over the politics, over the tension, over the whatever's going on in your world. Because this is going to pass eventually, but the relationship you'll have forever. Do you understand what I'm saying? You be the bigger man, you be the bigger woman. Show love and show kindness and make the difference. I got to keep moving real quick, real quick, keep moving. And so, and so here we are today. Many of us don't know what to believe. We're not, we're not quite sure where we should draw the line in the sand and say, moving forward, thank you so much. And so I'm reminded on today that we cannot subscribe to being anti-police. That cannot be our statement. Now, let me say this. Here we go. Y'all ready? Here we go. We're about to go a little deeper. Put your seatbelt back on. We're about to go a little deeper. Let me deal with the defund the police piece. I understand that when someone says defund the police, they're not meaning take all the resources away. I understand that. I'm, I'm, I understand that. What they're meaning is we should reallocate some funds to other social areas of community. And I'm okay with all that. I'm really okay with some diversity of funds, real, reallocating of training and funds. Okay, time out. You got it. You got my applause. But what I'm not okay with is the overarching umbrella messaging of defund the police. Because what you don't know is a lot of times it's this liberal anarchy crowd that wants all the black folk to stand up and say, yeah, we want to defund the police. Well, that makes sense if you live in Ballantyne. If you live in a gated community uh, 30 miles outside of the city, that's no problem if you live in Myers Park. I'm all right with that if I live in South Park, no problem. But look here, if you live in Section 8 housing, if you live in the hood, I'm not trying to call no addresses out right now, but you know what I'm saying. If you live in some of these pockets of high crime, if it's high crime with the police, how much more is it going to be without the police? Come on, think with me. Come on, think with me. Just think with me. That's all I'm saying. It sounds good. But my fear is that a little anti-police will lead to a little anti-authority, anti-government, anti-corporations, oh God, anti-church. <sighs> let me show you, let, let me show what I'm getting at. Let me show what I'm getting at. This anarchy, anti-police, anti-government, anti-authority, anti-church, I just wonder, is it making room for anti-Christ? 
any and everything that looks like authority is now in question, including the church. The White House, the governor's mansion, the mayor's office, pulpits across America. And once again, you may be able to fly by that in the white church. But in the black church, this is all we've ever known. It was the preacher. It was the community of faith. We were a hospital for the sick. When we couldn't be nothing. You wonder why we dress up the way we dress up in 2020. Still in the church, it's still a remnant of the day when we couldn't dress up nowhere else. We couldn't put a suit and tie on to work in the offices. We couldn't wear a nice dress to work in certain areas. So Sundays was the only time we could have look decent and have some type of dignity. But now our mindset says opposite. Used to be a time there was respect for the deacon in the church. He was somebody of notoriety. The church mother was somebody of prominence, influence. Now we'll speak down to them. We'll say anything we want to say with no conscience, no regard, no conviction. I know you don't like this type of preaching. I'm not trying to be self-loathing here. But when I was growing up, there was an honor for the reverend. Whatever you were saying, whatever you were smoking, whatever you was drinking, you weren't going to do it if the reverend came by. I remember a day in time when the preacher would come in the room that they, they'd take a little cigarette out and they'd pinch the end of it and they put it behind their back. How you doing, Reverend so-and-so? God bless you, Reverend so-and-so. Good to have you. Appreciate that word. He, Reverend going by, they go, they go puffing all over again. Now, when he comes in the room, they'll smoke a, 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 a circle wow. right in his face. Wow. In the church. Okay, you're not saying amen, I see. Amen. I see you don't like what I'm getting ready to say. Well, if you didn't like me these last 30 seconds, you're really not going to like me these next 30 seconds. Let me set the record straight again, again, and again. When President Barack Obama was in office, I've met the man. I've shaken the hand of the man. I told him I'm praying for you, your wife, and your two daughters. His response to me was, Reverend Stevens, thank you for praying for Michelle and the family. By the way, Mr. President, can we get a photo real quick while we're together? If you don't believe me, just hit me up on Facebook. I'll send you the picture. It ain't been Photoshop. It ain't been the NASA. I met the man. I love the man. I believe he was a hope for black folk all over America. But if I'm going to be a conservative, committed, Christian believer, there were some things that he pushed as historically the most liberal congressional leader in the history of Congress that I personally, hear me, I personally did not agree with. So the conundrum then, how do we pray and support a leader that may not be agreeing or in sync with my personal convictions at the age of 44, 42, whatever the age was. I go back to how we were trained in the Bible, how we're trained in church. You cannot pull up any social media posts. You're never going to be able to put up a sermon where I disrespected him, where I dogged him, where I spoke evil of dignitary. You won't find it. Now, we're living in a day where every other word is an F-bomb when it comes to the president. Even from the church. We're living in a day. The man can save your mama from a burning house. 
and you still won't give them no credit. When I supported many of the decisions that was legislated, boy, I was hurt. Boy, I was ridiculed. Boy, I was condemned. When I came out and said, I condemn the actions of holding the Bible up for a Photoshop. When I say I condemn and he's wrong for playing the church world. I got condemned again. And it's like you can't win for losing. If you, if you support his measures, they're going to kill you. If you condemn and stand against his stuff, they're going to kill you. So you know what? Let me draw a line in the sand. I am going to vote what the Bible says vote. I'm not Democratic. I'm not Republican. I've got to vote what the Lord says. I know we've had some tough times. Is it going to be Hillary or is it going to be Donald Trump? Is it going to be Trump or is it going to be Mitt Romney or whoever it was back in the day, uh, uh, President Obama or Mitt Romney? And so we've had some tough decisions as Christians to make. But it doesn't mean we become silent. It doesn't mean we become fearful. I, I, let, may I remind you about three or four scriptures and then I'm going to get your way. Titus 3 and 1. Notice what the word of God says. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities. To obey. To be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one. To be peaceable, gentle, showing all humanity to all men. Can we honestly say we see this in America today? We can't say that. Can we honestly say, in fact... Would you write down just briefly, write down Romans chapter 13. Just write it down. It's a lot of text, but I promise you in my disclaimer, you're going to get so much scriptures, so much word. In fact, I would stand this message up to any message in America right now, not because of my preaching, not because of my eloquent speech, but because it is driven and written and founded on God's word. All right, not a lot of opinions, not a lot of narrative, not a lot of commentary, but a whole lot of scripture. And when you give a lot of scripture in your preaching and teaching, you can't go wrong. Notice what the Bible said. Let every soul be subject to governing authorities, including the mayor, including the councilwoman, including the president, including the governor. I'm not a fan of our governor, but he's my governor. I pray for him. I love him. I respect him. I don't agree with his policies. I don't like the way he looks on TV, but he's still my governor. He's still my leader in the state of North Carolina. And as Christians, especially in the tradition of the church we're in, we're taught, how to, we're taught to pray for our leaders. We may not understand them, but we're taught to honor. Y'all ain't talking to me today. I, I, I know it's social distancing, but you can say amen every once in a while. You got to say amen on the areas you don't like it, as well as the areas you do like, right? Uh, 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 Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 7. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the word of God. And those who resist will bring judgment, uh-oh, uh-oh, on themselves. You don't have to worry about nobody else bringing judgment on you. You don't have to worry about the enemy with this one. God says when you don't respect, honor the authority, God says that I have appointed you're bringing judgment on yourself. Now, I won't have time to read all of this, but I do want to jump down to verse 6 in a moment. Let me give you another couple of scriptures. The Bible says, you know what? Now, second time, let's go to verse 6. For because of this, you also pay your taxes. 
For they are God's ministers according continually to this very thing. Render therefore all there is due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Custom to whom customs are due. Fear whom fear is due. And honor to whom honor is due. Now, why do you quote that scripture? Well, no one in this room is foolish enough to say, I don't like the direction this country is going in, so I ain't paying my taxes no more. You see how quiet y'all are? That's what I'm, exactly what I'm saying. Nobody in this room is going to say, I don't like what I'm seeing on TV. I don't like what's being spewed out of the mouth of that hater in the White House. Oh, I don't like 45, blah, blah, blah. But you're still going to pay your taxes. You know why? Because there'll be consequences if you don't. So if that's in the natural, what about the spiritual? Why would God honor the second part of Romans 13, 1 through 7, and not honor the first part? Of Romans chapter 13, 1 through 7. Uh, you, you, you still need some help, I see. Second Peter 2, verse 10. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanliness and despise authority. That may not be you in the room, but we all know somebody out there who despises authority. Whether it's, whether it's police authority, whether it's governmental authority, whether it's the work authority, whether it's the church authority. They despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Now let me stop right there, okay? My time is almost up. I, I, I see now I'm going to have to finish this next Sunday. When we become a society not afraid to speak evil of leadership, know, my friends, that the end is near. Are you predicting? Are you prophesying? No, no. Don't have to predict. Don't have to prophesy. Just read the Bible. When we become a generational society, where we have no more respect for authority. Talk to me, parents. Can you imagine how your home would be if your children lose all respect for your authority in the home? Okay, you're awake now, good. As they say, you woke now, right? Think about it with me, supervisors, those who are in leadership on your job. Can you imagine going to work this week, whether you're online, home office, or at the office, and everyone who is supposed to be subordinate and under you decide to tell you, you know what, you can take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. You can take this job and shove it before I'm walking out the door. Can you imagine what that society, well, you like that country song. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> can you imagine what your office would be like if everyone who's under you no longer respected you? And on top of that, ain't nothing you can do about it? That's where our country is headed. If we don't make a change. I talked about RoboCop, the movie. Gotham City, the movie. Mad Max, the movie. All of these visual images of anarchy in the land. Used to be a time when I was growing up, Pastor Marion, we watched the Jetsons. And they had that futuristic cartoon. Anybody remember the Jetsons? And they had little private planes and little private vehicles. They would zoom. And they had ego, er ergonomics and ecosystems. And they had all of the green uh, 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 cultures. And we're living in that day some 40 years later. Some of these movies that we thought were just for entertainment purposes. Now, it could have been a prophetic snapshot of what this country will look like if we don't mend our ways. My time is up. I have so much more I need to talk to you about today. But I'll have to bring a draw at this point, I told my wife and I told a very close group of leaders maybe three months ago, and this is before the coronavirus. This is before what we see happening in the land with the protests and the rioting. 
and the peaceful marches. I said, if we're not careful, we're headed for a civil war. I had not heard one person on the, on the news say that. I've not read one blog or re saw one YouTube clip. But I felt that God had spoke to my heart and said, this country is headed toward a civil war. And I know right now that seems so insurmountable. I know you're sitting there like, oh, he is really off his rocker. If not a civil war, we are now indeed in a race war. Let me tell you how I know. And let me tell you what to look for. When they wanted to remove the rebel flags, I knew then, okay, we, okay, all right, y'all keep on, okay. And I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we are. I'm glad we are. When they start pulling down these Confederate soldiers, okay, no problem. I'm like it too. I love it. The NFL comes out and says, hey, we were wrong. Colin Kaepernick was right. We need to be more sensitive. I'm okay. Great. Not a problem. But when they want to start renaming these military bases, now you're, now you're getting in a little deep water. And I don't mind because Frederick Douglass said, nothing is conceded. Our power is not conceded without a demand. So I love the fact that demands are now being made. But I just wonder when is enough too much. Because you're awakening what once was a silent, very subtle, under-the-radar base. What's the word they use? Antifada? Antifada? Militia? Skinheads? Neo-Nazis? Ku Klux Klans? I live in the state of North Carolina. When I moved here 30 years ago, 1986, my mama said, Idaho County is the Ku Klux Klan capital of the other state. Now, I don't know if that was true or not, but it always put fear in me to go to Idaho County. That's, that's all I remember, right? Two weeks ago, I was, in, I was in Montgomery, I was in Birmingham, Alabama. And the hotel that we were in was, was, was across the street from a, a Confederate soldier that 24 hours prior they had pulled down. They locked the hotel down. They cut Uber from coming into the city. They said the general manager came out and said everyone's gone except for you and a couple others. And it came very, very real. Because what the general manager said is if they decide to bum rush this place, there's nothing we can do. They've ordered 400 additional cops to come into the area. But that won't be enough. This thing has become very real. And here's the problem. It ain't, it's not going to be your skinheads and neo-Nazi and Ku Klux Klan. It's going to be some of the folk you sit next to every day. They call it white silence right now. You think we've experienced some systematic racism. Institutional racism. You're awakening a base, and you know how we are. When they rise up, guess what? We're going to rise up. <laughs> and accept the church pray. My time is up. Accept the church stand. Accept the church speak.